Welcome to Hope Church Online with Hope Church Birmingham. I'm Adam, the lead pastor, and we are honored that you would tune in with us for this week's audio message. We always encourage you, we exist for people to find hope in Jesus and to be equipped to bring that hope to a world in need. So if this message encourages you today and you know someone who may also need a little bit of encouragement, feel free to share the link to them, send the link wherever you may listen to podcasts so that they too can find a little hope. I'm excited because we are in the Easter season. It is here. We are in the the final few weeks before we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Come on, I'm excited about it. If you can't tell by the tone of my voice, I'm pumped. (laughs) And with all that said, we've got exciting things planned at Hope Church. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't followed us on social media, follow us at Hope Church BHM. And if you haven't been receiving our emails, make sure you go to our website at hopechurchbhm.com slash connect. And that's going to keep you in the loop of all things Hope Church. Well, we look forward to seeing you real soon. Now let's dive in to this week's audio message. I'm going to start off today's message with a reading from 1 John 4 verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly love the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. God, I thank you for this scripture and I pray that we will be encouraged by your word as we're listening to this message. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us, comfort us, challenge us. But Lord, I pray at the end of this that we are closer to you and who you are calling us to be. So God, we thank you and we love you. Amen. So John's writing here in 1 John and he's he's writing with quite the direct statement, right? He says, if you say you know Jesus, but you don't walk his walk, basically, he goes, you're a liar. You don't know him. And so what he goes here is at the very end of verse six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We must walk the way Jesus walked, friend. Simply put, we must pattern our life after the patterns he showed in his life. Now, I do want to talk about patterns because uh, this Easter season, we're going to be in this series called The Patterns of Jesus. Because I want us to look at, as we're leaning into his resurrection, what were some of the things Jesus modeled on a regular basis that we see throughout the Gospels? So I want to talk about patterns as we're getting into this. Now, we all practice patterns, right? Some some we don't even realize. We may live our homes for leave our homes for work at a certain point of the day, every day, that's a pattern. The way we turn off all the lights before we go to bed, that's a pattern. When we know exactly how much time we have on the yellow light before it turns red, that's a pattern. There's patterns all around us on an everyday basis. And what's interesting is that scholars and psychologists alike all agree that understanding and recognizing patterns are very important to our mental and emotional growth. Now, as a father of two, I also have learned and understand that teaching children patterns is important. It's important for their their mental growth and them being able to understand and learn as they're getting uh, educated in school. But teaching kids patterns 
this can sometimes require patience <laughs> because they may make mistakes. You may go, okay, do you notice red, blue, red, blue? What's the next color? Purple. No, no, no. It's red, blue again. <laughs> That's a pattern. And sometimes it takes some work. Now, and then the next thing you know, they recognize patterns even better than you do. That's how it works with me. Uh, my daughter and our family, we love Disney World. And the thing about Disney is they love to hide what they call hidden Mickeys. What's a hidden Mickey? Well, we've all seen what a Mickey Mouse looks like, right? It's a, a round circle oval with two little uh, circles to represent each ear at the top. So that's what they would call their Mickey silhouette. Now, the next thing you know, uh, my daughter's been spotting these things everywhere. We'll be watching a TV show. It's a Disney TV show. And she'll go, oh, a hidden Mickey. And I'll go, where? And we'll pause it. And sure enough, there's one. We went to Disney World um, the past few months ago. And we go to Disney World. And she goes, look, Dad, a hidden Mickey. I'm like, I don't see it. She points and I go, oh, wow. She, she, she's spotting them out everywhere through movies, through parks. And often I overlook them because I'm not really looking for them. But Ansley has trained her mind and her eye to look for the pattern. And she will spot them, call them out before I can even process that there is a pattern. Now, these patterns that in our life that are represented, they help kids and adults alike. Learning how to make patterns and recognize them helps organize our world and our, our processing process, truly. It teaches us appropriate responses because we can pretty much know what's going to follow next. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus modeled patterns, and it's important for us to recognize the patterns that he modeled so that we know how, as John said, how we abide in him, how he walked, we should also walk in the same way. The patterns of Jesus are recognizable and repeatable. And as we get in this Easter season, friends, I believe it is of utmost importance to make the most of the moment. There are natural seasons of growth, and I believe Easter is a natural season for us to reach the lost. And there are people who are broken, who are lonely, who are hurting, and this is a time that we have to show hope like never before. Now, the thing is, we don't have to start from scratch with patterns because we get to follow the model Jesus put before us. Now, the issue with patterns is that there is a correct way and an incorrect way to follow the patterns. Now, think about this. If you've cooked, you're cooking something, let's just pretend you're cooking a pie and you have a recipe. That could be described as a pattern. And there's a pattern in cooking the pie. But if I go about it backwards, I cannot be surprised when the pie turns out wrong and not working. Practicing patterns improperly lead to unnecessary difficulty. I'm going to say that again. Practice, practicing patterns improperly leads to unnecessary difficulty. In our spiritual walk, this rings true. When we practice patterns improperly, they lead to unnecessary difficulty. And here's the thing. I think a lot of times we struggle with our patterns because we're practicing the wrong patterns. I think there are times where we are practicing the patterns of the world. We're going the way the world tells us, the way the world models, and the way the world does things, and we look like the world. But Paul writes that we are not to look like the world, but we are to look like Jesus. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, he says in Romans. And so what I find over and over again is that in a world that tells us to do everything its own way, we have a Jesus that says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. 
This is who we're to model after. This is who we're pattern we're supposed to practice. So an effort to put ourselves in the proper pattern, which is what my goal is for us today, I want us to look at the models that he patterned. And the first one we're going to look at is found in Matthew chapter 4. So in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. And uh, not in the middle, he's at the beginning. He just got baptized. So he's got water baptized. And in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 is where we pick up. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I'm going to pause here. So it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So after identifying in his baptism, he was identified through temptation in the wilderness. Let's think about this. After his baptism, he goes straight into the wilderness. Now, the word wilderness in Greek comes from this word eremos, eremos. It's a has a wide array of meanings, right? It means wilderness, desert, deserted place, the quiet place, or even the could be viewed as the solitude place. Now, multiple multiple times in the gospel, Jesus is referenced in going to the eremos. And so when we see this, we understand that this is something that Jesus patterned. He at many times went into the wilderness or went to a place of solitude. Now, what I also want us to look at is when it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit. So this wasn't led by the devil. This was led up by the spirit. So God led him into this. Why would this happen? Because I think sometimes we've read this passage in the church all wrong. We think that the tempter comes at Jesus in his weakness. But what I see is that when Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and he was hungry, yes, I actually think he was stronger because he had been in solitude. He had been doing and finding a place of strength. And this is what I want us to understand. Solitude, which is a pattern that Jesus shows cases, actually doesn't lead to weakness. It leads to strength, right? It's, this is a remarkable contrast of what we see when Jesus had just had the baptism and then he was challenged in the in the desert. He had the cool waters of the Jordan. Now he's in the barren wilderness. He had huge crowds seeing him baptized. Now he's in solitude in silence. Then the spirit rests on him like a dove. Now the spirit drives him into the wilderness. The voice of the father calling him beloved son. Now the hiss of Satan, the tempter. He was anointed. Now he was attacked. The water of the baptism, now the fire of temptation. Jesus did not be, need to be tempted to help him grow. But instead, friends, listen to this. I believe he endured temptation so that he could identify with us because scripture tells us he was tempted by every temptation that mankind could face, that humans face, so he could associate and he overcome temptation. He never sinned. He never gave into it. Now understand this. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not tempt us. James 1.13 talks about this. But he can lead us into a place where we are strengthened and in that place we may be tempted. This is not to prove something to God who knows all things, but it's something where we can see that we can overcome what is before us. And then we see uh, in verse three, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, many commentators believe it is 
improper to refer to this section simply as the temptation of of Jesus, because there's a word perezo, which is more accurately translated as a testing. And so it's more so saying that he was tested in this, but it also it is both, and it's not necessarily either. Um, it's a kind of a both and kind of situation. And so Jesus is here and he's, he's being tested by the devil. This is straight up. It's not a demonic, uh, uh, fallen angel uh, is Lucifer, the devil. And we see he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, don't think that this 40 days and 40 nights is not uh, it's a simple coincidence. And guess what? He was hungry. Matthew indicates that he was hungry, right? And he was in the desert. He was in the wilderness. Uh, and when the tempter comes, uh, he has to face the temp- this temptation. But also understand these 40 days who failed in the 40 days? Israel did, but Jesus did not. Verse four, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we see this. The fact that the devil left him means Jesus won. He did not give into temptation. He overcame temptation because he recognized Satan's mode of attack, lies and deception, something we need to recognize. When we are in the pattern of Jesus, we must recognize when the Satan is attacking us. Satan is primarily a deceiver. He lit, And for those who live in the light of the cross, Christians, deception is his only tool to attack us because demonic powers were disarmed at the cross. Jesus can, we, through Jesus, we can overcome these things, but deception, that is what is effective at getting us to overlook what we should be doing and giving into sin. But Jesus shows the most effective counter to deception, God's truth, not man's truth, God's truth. Everything Jesus responded to the devil was a direct quote. And it was a quote from Deuteronomy. There were scriptures from Deuteronomy. And he quoted God's word and put them to action. When we read scripture, we believe that his word is sharper than any uh, double-edged sword. So if you are under attack and you are in being tempted, let me tell you, friend, quote the scriptures, quote the word of God. They are important. And when we quote the truth uh, for uh, in front of temptation for what it is, a lie, we must Bring it with truth and we will overcome it. We got to have it in our heart. Because if we skip down to verse 17, after all this temptation and the, and the devil leaves and the angels take care of him, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of hand is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what he preached. This is what he lived by. This is what his message is Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Charles Spurgeon said, This remark stands true that prayer, meditation, and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel minister. So here we see in this pattern of Jesus that we're looking at today, if you can't tell, he practices a pattern of solitude. But it's not just a solitude by itself. It's a solitude that leads to strength. Now hear me. If you've ever been in a stressful situation for any sort of time, you know the value of solitude. And I can tell you, solitude can strengthen us. Jesus was tempted with the same three things that he tempts all of us. Lust of flesh, lust of eye, and the pride of life. And he overcame every single one of them. But what I find is that in this practice of solitude, Jesus was not weakened, even though he was hungry. He was strengthened. Was not weakened, but was strengthened. Why is that? Because he was not alone. In his solitude, he was communing with the Father. He was with the Father. The Spirit was there with him. The Spirit led him there. And in that moment, yes, he was fasting. Yes, his physical body might have been weakened, but his spiritual uh, alignment with the Father was great and strengthened. Hear me, friends. You and I can pursue uh, strengthened spiritual stature with the Lord. And many times, one of the first patterns that follows is solitude. Because what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in the hands of the one who can purify us, can refine us, and make us stronger, and make us healthier spiritually, so that when the temptation comes, we know how close God is because we've been with him every step of the way. Malachi 3, verses 2 through 3 says, who, uh, who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Some translations say launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring their offerings of righteousness to the Lord. God, I believe, has a refining fire when we find that we find an in intentional solitude. And this is important because it's hard for us sometimes to find ourselves in solitude because many times we're so quick to go, I got to go to the next thing and this thing and that thing. <laughs> I recently saw somebody described our, uh, our culture as an attention economy because our attention span has gone from 12 and a half seconds to eight seconds in the last five years. This is in contrast to a Jesus who is focused and purposed with intention. Friends, we have an invitation to solitude. The question is, will we take it up? Solitude isn't a place of loneliness or emptiness. It's a place of inner fulfillment. Wayne Cordero said, solitude is a cho chosen separation for refining your soul's isolation. So I read that wrong, sorry. Solitude, the chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. We find solitudes in moments where we pause, pray, and lean into his presence. How are you pausing? Because I know the day gets busy. There are moments where we got to pause. There are moments where we got to take a break and go, God, I need to pause because the day is pulling me into everything. There are moments where I need to make sure I'm praying. Jesus was praying in the wilderness. And then he was in, clearly in the tensional, in the presence of God. 
All of these things can be practiced by us and they are all going to lead us to a place where we find ourselves in God's will. Today is simple, friends. In a world that wants us to go, 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 in a world that doesn't want us to place ourselves in intentional solitude, I want to encourage you, look for ways where you can find yourself in intentional solitude. How do you do that? You pause, you pray, and you push into his presence. And when we do that, you will not be weaker, my friend. I believe you will be stronger. God, I pray that we'll hear this word today. We'll be encouraged, we'll be strengthened by it, and we'll be challenged to push forward into your word and in your presence. In your name we pray, amen. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in. I hope you were encouraged with this week's audio message. And I hope you found a little hope in your day. And I want you to be encouraged. Let's practice the patterns of Jesus and see what happens. Friends, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you real soon.